Friday lunchtime lectures at the Open Data Institute. Yeah, thank you all for coming um, and having me uh, this afternoon. Uh, I am slightly sip, sipping Lemsip because I've been in bed all afternoon, so if I start, well, all week really, um, so if I start coughing and spluttering, just I'll try not to do it in your direction generally. Um, so I'm, I'm going to briefly talk for the next 20 minutes, half an hour or so on uh, open data and FOI and how they can work together. Um, about me, as just um, I was just introduced, I am a journalist. I am currently working for a number of trade magazines. Uh, I'm actually changing jobs in about two weeks, somewhere much more exciting, but the paperwork hasn't gone through yet, so I'm not going to say too much about that. Um, and basically, FOI is, my, is a big interest of mine and a very much important thing for journalism. And I run this website, the FOI directory, which covers um, stories that have been um, created in the media with FOI, covers developments with the FOI Act, um, and really, well, and the main function of it when I started the Act was, uh, when I started the website was to provide a directory of contact details for public authorities. So there's lists of police, uh, all the FOI email addresses and contact details for public authorities um, because they weren't all open, um, and it's just a simple email address um, which should be on websites. And I know, like, at the moment still, some government departments don't list an email address where you can send an FOI uh, request to, and they just require um, uh, contact web forms. But you can send a request by FOI, so that was the main purpose of the website. It's been running for two or three years. It's sort of grown as my interest uh, in the area has grown. Uh, I've recently written uh, this book, which is a practical guide for UK journalists. Um, the book is based on 60, 70 interviews with, F uh, with journalists from sort of the whole spectrum. Um, local journalists, national journalists, people working internationally as well, and also lots of people involved in the, uh, the answering request side of FOI, the information commissioner, regulators, and basically a really broad range of people that are involved in FOI and interested in it. And it's basically a how-to guide. It's, it's slightly more complex than that. It goes into a lot of the legal, um, legal details behind FOI. Uh, lots of case studies and basically as many details and trying to sort of encourage a best practice for journalists. Um, so I'm just going to briefly, I know probably most of you in here obviously know about uh, open data and probably FOI, but I'm just going to briefly go over, over the scene as we are at the moment uh, for both the sort of uh, access regimes. Um, FOI, it's 10 years old this year. Um, it provides a right to information. Anybody in the world can ask for um, ask a public authority in the UK for information. Uh, it has to be in writing, it has to include your name, um, and they're basically the three main things, in writing, to a public authority, and who you are, and obviously what you want to get out of the public authority. Um, it is free, there is a provision for charges in the Act, um, but they are very rarely applied, um, but I'll actually come on to that a little bit later. And a public authority, once they receive a request, they have an obligation to do two different things. Um, the first is to say whether they hold the information. If they do hold the information, they then have to either release it to the person who has asked for it, or they can say it is exempt using an exemption of the Act. There are 15 to 20 exemptions. They cover all sorts of different things, so uh, legal, professional privilege, um, national security, there's a cost limit in there as well, so if you ask for too much information, they won't. Uh, they don't have to. They don't have to provide that. Um, so yeah, there are a number of exemptions. There are legal ways for people to refuse to 
disclose information when, they, when there is a justification for doing it. Um, most of the exemptions are qualified exemptions, which means that they are subject to a public interest test. So if the public interest in um, disclosing the information outweighs the public interest in um, withholding the information, then the public authority has to provide the information. Um, there are some absolute exemptions, uh, such as information relating to the security bodies, um, so MI5, MI6, GTHQ, um, and that information doesn't at all fall under the FOI Act. It's not subject to, um, uh, it's not subject to release. So th there are qualified and uh, absolute exemptions. Uh, the Justice Select Committee in 2012 did a review of the Act, so just three years ago, um, and they said that, in general, the Act has been a significant enhancement of our democracy. They raised some areas that could be improved upon. They raised some questions, but they did a thorough review, um, taking evidence for several months, and generally said that the Act has been a good thing for this country. Um, the UK in general, well, there are 100-plus countries around the world that have FOI Acts at the moment. The UK's was, as I say, 10 years ago was introduced. It was one of the sort of middle-range uh, acts to be introduced. The first act was in sort of uh, Sweden in the 1700s, but it's not quite the same as today. And then the US, uh, which is one of the obviously major countries around the world, and they introduced their FOI Act in 1966, so quite a while before us. Um, Open data is obviously being pushed since around 2009. Is obviously a big a push on reusable data, um, and the UK is ranked um, number one in the World Wide Web Foundation's uh, bar barometer for publishing open data. Um, so I'm just going to move on to the advantages of sort of both um, both areas. Uh, FOI is an ease of use. It's very easy for anybody to send a request. As I mentioned, it has to be in writing. It has to be to a public authority and state your name. You can, you can send FOI requests via Twitter. You can technically send one via Facebook. So if you reply to somebody to a public authority's status saying this is an FOI request, um, please handle it as this, um, then it is technically an FOI request. If you Getting them to answer it is a different question. There are not many people that I've seen use Facebook, or I don't, actually I haven't even seen an example of anybody using Facebook to make a request, but the information commissioner, who is the regulator for FOI, says that it is possible to do that. Um, it's more frequent for people to use Twitter to make FOI requests, and public authorities generally answer requests by uploading the information they're going to disclose, or the letter they're saying that they're not going to disclose the information to their website, and then they tweet the link back to whoever's requested it. Um, so yeah, there is a real ease of use of making FOI requests. Um, I think one of the main points is what people want to ask as well. It's the questions that people are, the burning questions that somebody has got about their local council, about their local NHS service, about whatever the, a government department is doing. So it is the questions that people are really asking. So it's a public's right to know is, is the general purpose of the FOI Act. Um, and yeah, so it highlights the areas of interest, what people are interested in, um, rather than having information dictated to them. So, um, and then there is obviously a legal right because the act is a piece of legislation. It is very complex in some areas. It's very, very difficult uh, to understand in some parts, and um, legal cases go on for absolutely years. Um, but it is a legal right to information. So if you don't. If the public authority doesn't give the information to the requester, they have a right to challenge the uh, challenge the re the response, and they they can take it to the regulator. They can ask for it to be reviewed. They can take it to court um, if they believe that the information should be disclosed. Um, be because we've had ten years of the FOI Act, there is a developed case law. Um, 
so all the exemptions around the act have had people challenging the decisions, and there is reams of information from courts, from the uh, from the regulator about how the act works, and it's constantly developing. So as I mentioned, Twitter earlier uh, for making requests, people obviously 10 years ago Twitter wasn't around, so people have sort of and people have push the boundaries of FOI and it's constantly changing in small ways and developing and the information that can be um, can be published is always slightly shifting and the exemptions can be interpreted in different ways. Um, and as well, there's a very wide variety of users. Uh, a lot of people's um, exposure to FOI is through the press and the press are massive users. I can't say that they're not, um, but it isn't just journalists. It isn't just, uh, it isn't just journalists who are looking to make requests and use information. So you get a lot of charities use requests to, for, uh, to get information about the issues that they're concerned about, campaigners, um, people who are just interested in their local government, their local um, services that are provided to them. And really, they businesses are a big user as well. A lot of businesses are making requests which public authorities do have problems with um, because they don't see it as a legitimate use, but that's some public authorities. To not to generalize too much, but yeah, a lot of businesses do use the act to try and uh, get information about contracts, tenders that other sort of competitors may have had, so they can use this information maybe to their advantage. But the point of the act is it's being published into the public domain, um, so anybody can who make anybody can access the same information. So if you were to make a request um, and they send the information to you, then in theory there is no reason why I can't I can't ask the information um, and get exactly the same thing back. So it's, it's motive blind and applicant blind. Um, so the advantages of open data, um, it encourages publication, uh, more information is being published because of open data. Um, reuse, which is a massive thing, it's information that can be reused, and I'm going to come on to it a little bit later, but FOI disclosures aren't always reusable information. They're obviously, they're in some cases, they're quite difficult to reuse what is being published from an FOI request. Um, People can do stuff with open data. The more data that has been published, people can obviously make stuff. Um, businesses, there are loads of businesses based around open data. Um, it's politically cool at the moment. Um, David Cameron, obviously, when he sort of started a big push in 2010, said he wanted to make the government and this country the most um, open and transparent in the world. And by publishing uh, spending data, that was his first as open data, that was his first sort of aim, and it's obviously grown from there, sort of the publication um, of more open data, and it, it encourages more people to share data and do different things with it. Um, there are obviously disadvantages to all of the, to both of the things. FOI is slow. Public authorities have 20 working days to answer a FOI request, which is in effect a month. Um, that is the that is the legal statute. It doesn't always work like that. It, in a lot of cases, it doesn't work like that. Uh, the closer you tend to get to central government, the slower they can be at answering requests. The cabinet office is one of the authorities which most requesters frequently criticize for being slow, obtrusive, etc. Um, FOI is obviously politically sensitive as well. Um, so the information that is being published when, if it's a, say if it is a journalist or somebody requesting it, they're obviously and in some cases requesting information that is sensitive, that is um, going to cause embarrassment to a minister, is going to cause embarrassment to a public authority. You've obviously got the MP's expenses scandal, which is one of the massive FOI successes. Um, and I think since then there has been a sort of political 
um, wariness of FOI, and in some cases, you um, you hear about politicians trying to avoid the FOI Act. So the Sun reported a couple of weeks ago, and it's been widely reported for quite a while that ministers have been using um, post-it notes, sticking on sticking them onto documents, and sort of just scribbling edits onto the post-it notes, which then get thrown away. Um, just to try and avoid FOI. Michael Gove in 2011, he used um, his private email account and Hillary Clinton has been doing so in the US recently um, because it, in theory, is a way to try and get round FOI. Um, in practice, it's probably not, but there is very little way to tell if somebody is using a private email account for public business. Um, dis major disadvantage to FOI is rubbish formats. Um, get it, there has been a recent court um, decision that's saying that if you request information under FOI, you can um, say what format you want it to come back in. Um, however, that doesn't that isn't always the case. I mean, this is still developing, um, but you quite often get authorities that you ask them for a data set, they print it out, they scan it, and then they send it back as a PDF. So uh, the recent court case, um, which took a good few years to get through the courts, um, has given a right to ask for information that is reusable as long as it is practical, uh, practically possible for an authority to do so. So now if you say, I would like this information in the form of a CSV, etc., um, then they should be able to give it back to you as long as it is practically reasonable for them to do so. Um, disadvantages of open data, I would say there is a more specialist knowledge to actually do things and use um, use open data. I don't, as I say, like anybody can make an FOI request. It's easily done in writing. To actually use a data set um, requires a bit more specialist knowledge and skills to do that, which I don't think everybody has. Um, with open data, there is no legal recourse. Um, so if a public authority decides to stop publishing spending data, um, then there is no sort of legal recourse to go back and make them do that. For example, the Cabinet Office hasn't published its spending data for over £25,000. Yeah, for, for deals over £25,000 since October last year. And they're sorry, is it August last year? Um, so, yeah, uh, they're supposed to do that on a monthly basis, and there is no recourse to make them publish this. Um, it's just a political will to say, yes, we should be publishing this. Um, and the data can potentially be messy. I know it's improved in recent years, but um, yes, so. At their best, I think they both both of the schemes, and I think my main point is both of the schemes can can work together. They complement each other, but they're not. FOI and open data aren't a substitute for each other. They have to both exist in the same system. Um, at their best, FOI is used for crowbarring secret information out of public authorities, and these are just examples from this year. So if you think, and these are like five or six examples that I've just picked out of the top of most. Uh, Google's like news's most prominent stories from this year, um, but if you think there's been 10 years of FOI, um, 10 years of FOI um, in practice, so there's been thousands of tens of thousands of stories published um, of information which has been private or secretive. So we had um, Prince Charles's Black Spider memos coming out earlier this year, which was after a 10-year battle by the Guardian. They followed. Uh, they requested the letters that Prince Charles sends to ministers in his scrawly black handwriting, known as um, um, his black, the black Spider Memos, which is where they get their name. Um, they requested them 10 years ago, um, and it's taken until this year to get, the, to, get the, um, to get the letters published. In that time, The Guardian has followed this through to the highest court in the land. They took it to the Supreme Court earlier this year, and they won. 
the government has changed the law in the time that this case has been going on. So now minister, uh, correspondence from the royal family cannot be requested under FOI. It's now an absolute exemption. When uh, the Guardian requested it, it was a qualified exemption, so it was um, subject to a public interest test. But now you can't get any information at all um, of his more recent letters that he's been writing unless they are under the about environmental information, which is the EIR scheme, which is a different access scheme altogether. Um, but yeah, that's taken 10 years. That's, sh that's obviously shown sort of the power of the legal recourse. It's, it's taken the Guardian to take the government to court. The government were told that they were, by applying a ministerial veto to block the publication, they were told that they were doing that unlawfully. It was a cause of constitutional issues. Um, so that's sort of what FOI can force through. Um, earlier this year as well, British pirates taking part in anti-ISIS bombing against Syria. Um, the government said that British pilots and Brit well, British forces weren't going to be used, but then FOI um, from, and again, this wasn't from a journalist, this request, this was from, um, from Reprieve, the charity, um, that uncovered that they were being used. Um, recently, West Ham's Olympic Stadium deal, the details of the deal for their use of the stadium must be made public. They haven't been made public yet. I think the London Development Authority is challenging them through the courts, but so far, the I, the information commissioner and the regulator have said that um, the information should be published. So that is something that we could see coming out in the next few months. Um, there was a fracking report <coughs> earlier this year um, that basically was originally redacted by, by the government department and didn't publish any information about the potential impacts of fracking. It was challenged and then through the, through the legal system, it's been found out that fracking is that basically the negative con uh, consequences of fracking, increasing house prices, environmental issues, etc. Um, the badger cull, um, FOI request earlier this year found it costs about seven grand to cull every badger that has been culled so far, which is quite a lot for a single badger. Um, the ICO has ruled that information about critical reports into privately run immigration centers and the private sector transparency is, and well, the outsourcing of private sector transparency is a massive area because private providers don't fall under FOI and you are relying on transparency clauses in their contracts, which is a really gray area at the moment. Um, but yeah, the ITO has ruled that this information has to be published um, recently, and this is more of a trivial one, but the um, TFL published a geographically accurate tube map after um, somebody requested it. They had this information and they hadn't published it for whatever reason, I don't know. Um, but yeah, this obviously shows how close a lot of the tube stops are. It's not a major thing, but it's something that has been published from FOI, which wouldn't have been without FOI. Um, open data, I think, personally, the biggest things and the most advantages of open data are um, making things and causing change. So a few examples, City Mapper obviously runs on a lot of open data, massively used for transport, um, planning and stuff by, by hundreds of people across the city, thousands of people across the city and world. Um, the Guardian built a GCSE schools guide in 2013 using open data, so um, parents uh, could look at prospective schools for their children, how they were performing. Um, this, was a, this is a bit of an old example, but there's obviously these sort of applications that can be done to create things that are useful to people with open data. Um, mapping of crime data, etc. everything in your area. Um, I've actually given away where I live up there with that arrow, which I didn't realize I'd left on there. but. Um, Collision map, um, collisions around the city. Obviously, there is a big issue with traffic, cyclist collisions, etc. Um, 
So yeah, open data lets us do these things and lets people create these things without without having to get the, without the information having to be forced out. So it's already there. It can already be used by people that know what they're doing and create things. Um, but yeah, as I say, I think they are mutually beneficial. You can't have one and not the other. They both have to sort of work together in a way to do things. But I think at the moment, the two schemes are sort of separate. I don't think there is too much collusion between people who work in FOI and people who work in open data. And I think there should be more, uh, yeah, more a closer working relationship to see how things can change and how both both different access schemes can improve the other, really. Um, so, for example, hygiene data for for every sort of uh, for everywhere that sells food, every restaurant, every takeaway, every schools are included in hygiene data. Um, this wasn't published in 2004-2005 when the FOI Act came in. And then the first disclosures of hygiene data for for anywhere were forced through because of FOI. And now, a good few years later, because it's become routine, because it's been because it has been routinely published, because people a lot of people ask for their local area under FOI, it's now published openly. It's now published. Anybody can access hygiene data. They can get a use the API. They can create applications, create maps, create um, create things that tell people the hygiene of their local takeaway. Um, and without FOI, that wouldn't have come. But now it's moved into the open data regime. So it's being published proactively all the time. I think the API is updated every day, maybe several times by the Food Standards Agency. So yeah, that's, that's a success of the two schemes. Um, and I think in some ways, FOI can reduce the number of, no, sorry, open data can reduce the number of FOI requests. It's, it's a difficult area because nobody's done any research on it. But um, there are examples of public authorities uh, that have looked at the FOI requests that they have had in and said, oh, we're getting lots of requests for this information. We're getting lots of requests for, say, well, the, the example up here is TFL. They, get, they were getting lots of um, um, requests for Oyster card deposits. So how many have been outstanding? How many people have um, cards aren't used with money still on, et cetera? Balances, journeys, so where people check in, where people check out. Um, and they were getting so many FOI requests that they decided to publish this stuff as open data. So therefore, they're reducing the amount of work that they have to do in answering repeat FOI requests. Um, I mean, there's always going to be a case of people asking for more information about the open data, potentially through FOI. Or so maybe asking for specific, um, specific dates, times, etc. Um, but in this sort of case, the FOI regime if somebody asks for this information that's being published proactively, there is an exemption in the FOI Act um, which says that public authorities can just point somebody to the information if it's already published. So if I send a request to TFL and say, can I have the information on Oyster card deposits, they will say, yes, it's here on our website. That obviously takes a lot less time to answer the FOI request um, if it's already out there so they don't have to go through their internal teams, find out where the information's held, how it's held, um, and then respond to the person. So, and just yesterday, actually, TFL, um, I'm hoping it was on the back of their previous announcement that they were saying that uh, where they were going to publish a lot more open data. But yesterday, they've said they're going to publish more stuff. Next year, they're going to publish all their FRI requests online, which seems bizarre that public authorities don't. But a lot of public authorities don't publish their requests online, uh, maybe because they don't have the time and resources. Um, but yeah, TFL have come out and said that yesterday they're going to publish a lot more stuff online from next year. So that's obviously a very good thing. Um, 
the Protection of Freedoms Act in 2012 uh, introduced a clause to the FOI Act where saying if somebody has asked for a data set, uh, then the public authority, when the, and the public authority isn't, it isn't exempt, it isn't an exempt data set, then the public authority has to republish this uh, on a regular basis. Um, yeah, if they receive a request for it under FOI. So it's not directly becoming open data, but there is a provision for data sets to be republished once somebody has asked for them, and then an updated data set when it is reasonable to do so. Um, so there is, so I guess there is a legislatory side of things that is sort of feeding FOI into open data as well. Um, I'm not sure how much the protection of freedom of acts, this, well, this clause of it is actually followed. Um, it'd be interesting if anybody did any work on that to see, um, but th there is a provision there for publishing stuff um, that has been requested by FOI as a data set in future. Um, and this example, the Great British Toilet Map. So public toilets, I think that there's been a massive decrease in the actual number of public toilets that are available, um, obviously due to funding cuts, etc. But the information wasn't out there a few years ago. Um, so I can't remember their name, that's really bad. Um, the people who built this, who built this um, website is, and it, uh, interactive website, you can go on there, zoom into your local area. Uh, they have published, they've tracked down the locations of public authorities, public toilets, and they put them all onto the map. You'd think that would be simple, but they, this information by a lot of public authorities wasn't being published already. Uh, they had to FOI where public toilets were, which seems a little bit bizarre because it should be something that is on. If, I want, if I'm out somewhere and I don't want to go into McDonald's, I don't want to go into Costa and, use their, and feel awkward using their toilets, um, maybe there's a public toilet around. So this should be something that's easily findable, locatable on a public authorities website, but it wasn't. So it took FOI requests to public authorities um, to actually find out this information. Um, and then I believe the local government uh, association actually last year or the year before maybe um, was made part of their push on open data was it saying if public authorities would publish their information on public toilets, they would get a £2,000 grant to help them do so. Um, and I looked back yesterday, last night even, uh, when I was making this, and apparently there's 89 data sets on there. Um, now, they're quite wide, so they're not specifically broken down by councils. Um, these data sets may go slightly further, but I, there's obviously more than 89 public local authorities in the country. So this there's obviously been a encouragement, a lot of uh, authorities have sort of gone to do this, but there's a lot probably that are still missing. Um, and this is probably stuff that they've now got easily to hand because um, public authorities, and it's been requested by FOI, so why not make it public, why not make it open data, because then people can build stuff like this, which is actually useful to people. Um, so yeah, that's what I think are the main sort of areas where they can work together and they can, FOI can basically encourage more data to be published and then once it's been published on a regular basis, it can be published through open data. Um, there was this report recently from the, um, a number of agencies, but it's on the World Wide Web Foundation's um, website that looked at FOI and open data and if they were working together. Um, it's four main conclusions, and I've drastically para paraphrase these because they were a lot longer, uh, was that FOI at the moment has a lot closer links to data protection because when people are, a lot of the cases, the most used FOI exemption is uh, section 40 around personal data, so stopping um, people's personal data being published um, unless it's law and fairful under the, fair under the Data Protection Act. Um, so the FOI communities and people who answer FOI requests have got a lot closer links to 
the data protection side of things, whereas open data, this report said the people working in it could learn from this and they could potentially be using or there could be more considerations around data protection. Um, the second one was copyright and intellectual property um, could be improved um, and there's no reason why open data should have greater reuse rights. Um, so that's coming back to this point I made about a scanned version of a Excel document. Why not publish that in the first place? Why not make that reusable? Um, and there are a lot of cases, well, not a lot, there are some cases where public authorities still uphold their copyright on their FOI disclosures. So I know somebody who has requested a training film from the Metropolitan Police from the 1980s. Um, it was around their handling of journalists and how they sort of uh, write, uh, I think it was their riot training and sort of preparations for public events and how they should handle journalists in these events. And it was a journalist that requested it. And the Met has said that they're going to uphold their copyright on this film from the 1980s. So it can't be republished at all. But the irony is if anybody in the world wants to, to get this film, because it's been released under FOI, you can all go and you can all go and ask for this. So if everybody, I'm not saying that it's a good idea, and I don't think it is, because there are provisions in the FOI Act that say you can't, it shouldn't be used for campaigning. But because this information has been released once, then it is released to the world. That is the principle. So, but you can't use it anywhere, which is just uh, bizarre. Um, file formats, that's sort of the same point again. Um, and most likely that FOI can open up political sense, that's what I was saying. The most likely conclusion of this report said that FOI can open up politically sensitive data sets. So a good example is the uh, Department for Work and Pensions this, this year published the number of um, benefits related deaths. So people who had um, died within six months of being declared fit for work, something around that area, which was, the figures were requested under FOI. They said they weren't going to publish them. Uh, and now they've been published because of the FOI regime. So why not make this open data in the future? Why not be publishing this data set on a regular basis? Um, so yeah, I think that's how that is probably a, one of the best ways that the two can combine. Um, and the report said there needs to be a space for communities that are working with FOI and open data to work together to discuss these areas, to discuss how this, how this can move on. Um, and this is, there's a threat to FOI at the moment. Um, the government is running a independent, independent commission. The, well, the full title of it is the Independent Commission on Freedom of Information. Um, it is made up of, um, it's an independent review of the panel. Um, the independence of the panel has been widely criticized. Jack Straw is on the panel who has openly spoke about multiple times about how he wants to limit the effects of FOI. Um, he's on the panel. Um, there are other people. Basically, the entire panel is made up of government and generally government officials that have no, have never spoken publicly about increasing transparency. And the actual call for evidence of this um, of the commission has come out this morning. It came out about 11.30. I haven't had a full chance to read it yet, um, but they were supposed to report by the end of November. This is now out of date. They're going to report by January, I think, next year. Um, they're accepting public evidence, but there are four areas, I didn't update this slide correctly, um, that they've said today that they are going to be looking at. They're going to be looking at the public interest in the disclosure of politically sensitive information. So it's discussions with ministers, um, between ministers, advice provided to ministers around policy, and basically everything around the disclosure of policy. And the general view is they're going to look at this area to make it an absolute exemption rather than a qualified exemption at the moment. Um, 
which Jack's, as again, Jack Straw has said in, he is previously in favor of doing so. So I don't know how that's an independent view on a panel. Um, but the second area they're going to be looking at is the ministerial veto. Um, this is obviously on the back of Prince Charles's letters being published because the government was told they were being unlawful, they were unlawfully using the veto. And they're now going to look at it again to see how they can extend its use, basically. Uh, the third one is the burden of FOI. Um, which comes back to how much it's costing public authorities. And I think this is where the open data side can link into it, because if you are publishing more information that has been requested from an FOI request as open data, it's reducing the burden of FOI. Um, and they're also going to be looking at the appeals mechanism. Um, there is some, There are six main questions. Uh, they're, they're a little bit, they're OK to read up there. Um, I'm not going to go through them all, but these are the six main questions that the review uh, panel has said in their call for evidence that they are going to um, going to be questioning around. Um, and these generally, yes, they follow the veto. They follow the policy decisions and advice provided to ministers. Um, <coughs> the, uh, the enforcement, again, and the burden. And there is a clause, well, there's a large part of their call for evidence uh, is saying about requ uh, fees for FOI requests in other countries. Um, so there could be a view there um, because it basically goes through and quite detailedly lists how many, how much it costs to make a request in Ireland, how much it costs to make requests in other countries. And so I think there could be a slight indication there of they could be wanting to tr or recommend to the government that they will introduce, that they should introduce fees for FOI, um, which I obviously think is wrong. Um, but yeah, they're the general points. And just to bring it back to David Cameron again as the final thing, in 2010, he said he, wa he wants the ambition for this country to be the most transparent, transparent government in the world. But I think with, without FOI, if you weaken FOI, uh, then you are not being transparent. You're not being open. Um, and the government's view is they want to push open data as much as possible. They, Francis Maud has said that he wants FOI to, he wants to make FOI redundant because of open data. But that's n that, that is not the point of FOI. The point of FOI is people can ask for the information that they're interested in. They can get the information that they want to find out about, not the information that the government wants to publish and tell them. And yeah, any questions? Oh, thank you. You've been listening to a Friday lunchtime lecture brought to you by the Open Data Institute.